A warm welcome to Questions Worth Asking, a podcast where we capture and translate wisdom from multiple disciplines in order to fuel the next generation of changemakers. Hello, welcome back to Questions Worth Asking. This is Season 2, Episode 7. This is where we continue the great conversation we've been having with Ed and Peter Shine. That's really fascinating to me because when I asked about Silicon Valley and you were describing the history, it's really helped me to see how some of the things you're talking around humble leadership have come from that connected ecosystem. And what I was doing in my head was contrasting that to businesses that I've worked with or I've I've worked as an employee for, where that kind of more uh, connected ecosystem isn't there. And I'm wondering, if I go back to the, John's point about resistance, are there any patterns that you see in in kind of companies that are quite resistant to this way of thinking or, or or perhaps even I'd go so far as to say they don't value humble leadership? One way of answering that question is most companies that have grown large and have histories are kind of stuck in the machine model and therefore almost automatically resist anything that says, It's not about the individual hero leader. It's about groups and teams and shifting uh, designs as as the tasks require. Uh, I want to underline how important it is to go back to groups and teams as the relevant unit. When I was consulting with, with Apple in the 80s, they made the point of we don't offer employment security, we offer employability security, because when someone works on one of our projects, they learn so much that they are going to be very employable Mm -hmm. when that project is finished and we let them go. There is no obligation of the company to keep the employee nor is the employee obligated to uh, to be loyal because they've learned so much, they should happily go to their next job where they can use that new learning. At that time, it was quite a radical idea, but it put the emphasis on the project. I would say, well, then what, what is this person supposed to be loyal to? Yeah. The answer was simple, the project. The project is a group that takes a particular task and works it to a solution. And you see that another version of that today in Google that talks about bringing in a lot of talented people and seeing whether they can evolve projects by getting other people to con- to be convinced of their idea is a good one. And in their own research on teams that have been formed that way, they've come up with what we've always known in in team psychology, that the most important variable that differentiates the good uh, successful teams from the less successful ones is that the team members feel psychologically safe, Mm. that they feel they, they can speak up, that they are valued in the group. And so I think the irony is that NTL started with focus on teams, 
but in the last few decades, so much emphasis has gone into personal growth and using the T-group for personal enhancement that we're losing the very thing that's most important is group training and team training and knowing how to create psychological safety in teams so that they can function better. The only thing that I would add is that, you know, we are sort of making an argument that the that the, the old sort of command and control model of an organization, formal hierarchy, incentives to move up the hierarchy, you know, fear of losing your job, those all being very important motivating, you know, factors in why people go to work every day. We're sort of arguing that that model doesn't work anymore and that organizations are adaptive, living, um, organic organisms. And I'm, I'm not so sure, having had a fair amount of interaction with the venture community out here, that that's an, 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 you know, a, a comfortable model for, for the venture community. The venture yeah. community needs to make investments that hopefully have, you know, they have a 10%, you know, chance of hitting it big. And um, somewhere between the day they do the investment and the, the day they know whether there's a huge exit, they still have to be managing those investments on a quarterly basis. The sort of adaptiveness and willingness to, um, you know, maintain the integrity of groups within the organization and having a long-term vision, not necessarily a, we're going to make this quarter vision, There, I think there's a gap there. There's a resistance that you're going to get from investors who need to see the quarterly results and still sort of have a belief that you need to be able to expand and contract the organization according to those quarterly results. So I think... You know, there's a lot of smart people out here who are investing in companies, and I think they get the big picture, but it is hard to translate what we're talking about to the, you know, the day-to-day -day brass tacks of a company that has a great idea, but it doesn't work, and then they, you know, need to sort of riff half the team. Well, uh <laughs> It's it 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 could be hard to reconcile the philosophy that we're talking about with some of those you know nuts and bolts brass tacks of you know the tough time of working at a company that fails. And Peter, just to build on that, we have a lot of consultants that listen to us who will be with clients who, exactly as you say, might hold, dare I say, some cynicism towards this. Mm -hmm. um, is there anything that you would say so when you come up against somebody or a client or you're consulting and that client comes from a venture background or you know doesn't see the value in humble leadership and is in that kind of level minus one commander control is there anything that you often say or anything that you could offer our consultants to go this is how you might frame the value of humble leadership to, to people that have a cynical mindset Well, I mean, I think it, it sort of one important point goes back to what Ed said about psychological safety is that that's one of the things that seems to be a kind of an absolute that if people go to work every day and they do not feel any sense of psychological safety to be open, to communicate, to be creative, then the company's not, if that's all you have, then, then that company 
better but not be trying to innovate. <laughs> you know, they're they're not gonna they're they're not gonna find that next next thing if that's how people are experiencing their work every day. So, Ed, you're well. I the the easiest way I find myself getting into it if if a client really has gotten to to the point of wanting some help is to use the question of is there anything that's worrying you what's worrying you nice really nice question you can't argue against the quarterly monetizing bottom line philosophy if he says uh, ed do you have any solutions that you can show me will affect the bottom line i have to say no i don't i'm really interested are you worried about anything I can't prove that I can do better what you can do, but are you worried? Well, harassment, sexual or or personal, uh, lack of engagement of people. If they admit that there's or turnover, if there's something that's worrying them, then we have an opportunity to say, well, let's examine why that might be happening. But until you get them to open something that they worry about, I don't think you can argue them into humble leadership. You have to let them discover it by helping them understand that they do worry about things. And that happens to be the title of our podcast, right, is questions worth asking. Given everything we've discussed, what do we as a group think are the questions worth asking related to this and i guess one is what's worrying you or are you worrying about anything is one what else do we think are questions worth asking in this area well i i know well, that why I... did you call me <laughs> <laughs> okay i i mean that's that's a funny but i i do think people need to become conscious of when and why they ask for help mm. Yeah. Peter, for you, what would be the question worth asking in this field for you? Well, you know, I always, I, I sort of have one that's sort of a personal question and that, and we, we pose this in the book, is to think back on, you know, the last five jobs you've had or the last 20 years of your work or whatever, and think about the best or, you know, most productive or most satisfying job experiences you've had. And... Could you characterize those as having a sort of a level one transactional relationship? Or is it in fact the case that when you think back on the work that you've done that you really enjoyed, isn't it more likely that those were going to be personal, connected relationships with people that you work with? Whether or not it was the most successful thing you ever did it was the job that you found most satisfying. I, I always want to ask people that question because I think the pattern, you know, emerges pretty quickly that the work relationships that we feel like were most satisfying and productive were the ones that were more personal. On the other hand, if, if uh, I, I'd also want to ask the question, where is a situation or, or can you describe a case where you felt like professional distance was really the only thing that would work uh, in a particular work context. I think it's important to always kind of balance the two against each other. 
Nice. I, I have a question for the two of you. Um, you've written this book together. We've been talking about it now for you know, two two podcast episodes. What's your What's your ultimate kind of hope for the book? What do you ultimately hope that the book does for the world? Well, I I would like to see fewer examples of what I see happening to my grandchildren. Namely, they end up in organizations and have bad bosses and end up having to find second and third jobs. I think the whole culture of management is sick. And uh, my ultimate goal would be to help business schools and organizations everywhere to discover that things work better when you have more personalized personalized relationships at every hierarchical boundary and in every team situation, that, that you become more pragmatically humane, that you're not becoming humane just because it's nice to be more comfortable, but that we have growing evidence, especially from the military and, and other complex organizations, that in today's world, things just work better if you connect and talk to each other and learn to trust each other. That would be, for me, the ultimate goal, to, to have fewer cases, which I have too many of, where young people in their 20s say, I worked for this company and I quit because I had a boss who dominated me or who wanted me to, to lie or cheat and, or... You know, the amount of negative stuff we encounter in in that generation just sickening. And it's got to be, it's going to fix itself one way or another. But my goal is, is at that level to get organizations to recognize that at every echelon, the relation between the boss and the direct reports has to become level two. That's great. And Peter? Thoughts? Well, just, you know, one of the things we mentioned, uh, we, um, I personally found the Frederick Laloux books about reinventing organizations as very stimulating uh, as we were doing research for this book. And so we cite his comment that there is something in the air. You know, humbly, we hope this book uh, is part of that something in the air where um, we're not the only people raising these kinds of questions that um, broadly are about sort of rehumanizing organizations. One of the things that, that you know, Ed's original mentor was Doug McGregor. He, uh, and Ed, you can correct me if I don't get this quite right, but he had this original framing of theory X and theory Y. And um, as Ed and I were talking about this, um, Ed would also often say what we're talking about is the return to theory Y. That's the something that's in the air. So again, we just hope that this book is one of the ones that, that, we, that gets talked about as a, um, another example of framing what's in the air. How is it that um, organizations are trying to to find ways to rehumanize what they do? Because um, generally, that's what 
you know, people want from their jobs. They don't just want money. They don't just want predictability. They want, and, and as we all know, our, our work lives and our personal lives are, are growing ever closer together, and that, that trend's going to continue. So uh, rehumanizing work is what we're talking about, and we hope that this book is, is part of that, uh, that trend. Yeah, amazing. It's amazing, and I guess uh, I guess some of these shifts happen at a a short term level and a longer term level. So you're right. Maybe this is a one of the longer term shifts back to something more humane. If I try to wrap us up, although in my heart of hearts, wishing we had unlimited time to just keep talking. <laughs> yeah. Um. What What if anything has shifted for all of us during these last two? podcasts during during this conversation has anything shifted for you well i just want to add a quick comment that you know ed's always talking about how groups um form so we we and you know ntl uh we're sort of the first to define how we're a group that formed an hour or so ago what struck me at the very beginning was that um, Priya shared something that was very personal that was so integral to creating the openness and trust that we could be frank and, and in this dialogue. That without those kinds of, you know, Ed describes it as either it's inquiring or revealing um, as how you get to that level too. Priya was able to do that very quickly uh, in revealing something very deeply personal, but in a way that was entirely pro- appropriate in a professional context. It's hard to do, but it's something that I think we all need to train ourselves to do uh, in order to establish this this kind of level two connectedness that ultimately yields, you know, the, the trust that becomes productivity. Yeah. Th- thank you, Peter. Um, I- I'll go. For me, honestly, listening to you, I have been, there's been a conversation going on in my head about have I always been a humble leader? You know, have I always, how comfortable have I always been on that professional distance spectrum? And so what's shifted for me is really a sense of personal reflection and also a sense of uh, wanting to join your mission. So Ed, I was really inspired about why what your ultimate hope is for this book and I feel a sense of wanting to join you on that on that mission so that's that's really shifted for me uh in this conversation yeah thanks Priya for both Um, uh, I I have to laugh because we're we're into content and I'm so process oriented what shifted for me is contemplating the difference between being interviewed by one person versus being interviewed by two people, (laughs) which I found to be quite a different process, in some ways much more challenging, because by the two of you could could shift the content easily, more easily than a single interviewer typically does. And I'm intrigued by that wonder, you know, for future what the pros and cons are when when one does this kind of work of having not just two respondents but two interviewers 
That's really interesting for us. No one's mentioned that before, but I can, <laughs> I can imagine actually the, the combined force of John and I interviewing you. It's interesting, really interesting. And of course, yeah. with this hope that it's inter, that it's conversational too. Well, you kept us on our toes. We we couldn't give you the usual pitch. We had. To <laughs> Thank you so much for um, for joining us. Uh, to, you know, today for the for these two episodes, I've just thoroughly enjoyed and feel very thought provoked. So, uh, so from me in the UK, it's goodbye. And from just outside Washington DC, it's goodbye for me. How about Ed and Peter? How how would you like to say goodbye? Well, thank you very much for the opportunity to to talk about this, and thanks for some great questions. And I look forward to hearing the podcast. I found it uh, very stimulating, and therefore appreciate the opportunity that you provided us to talk about this. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you for being with us. Until next time, it's your turn to ask the questions worth asking.